Hi, this is Dr. Ali Sharma. Before you begin listening to this episode of Model Mentality with Melody Monroe, I want to touch base on why we are releasing this and future episodes in light of our current environment. I've been working with my co-host Bridget Malcolm since July 2019 on this podcast focused on mental health in the fashion industry, which was scheduled to launch in March 2020. However, once the COVID-19 pandemic struck, we decided to go on pause. And through the last four months, there has been a call to action for mental health in a way that I have not witnessed to date, which has made us rethink our timeline. Although we're not going to release the entire season right now, we've hand-selected episodes that we feel are important to share, all of which were recorded pre-COVID or in the initial period when the pandemic set in. Because of the recent racial protests in the United States and globally, and the need for systemic change, we feel it is important and timely to release our curation of Model Mentality episodes with guest Melody Monroe in episode two, who speaks on her experience as a woman of color within her industry. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Stay safe, healthy, and mindful during these challenging times. Please note that the contents of Model Mentality are for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on Model Mentality. Hi, I'm Dr. Ali Sharma, a psychiatrist and mental health advocate. And I'm Bridget Malcolm, an international fashion model. And this is Model Mentality. We created this podcast to open up the dialogue about mental health in the fashion industry by exploring the lives of models through the lens of their personal mental health experience. Each episode, we will invite a leading fashion model to sit down to chat, going behind the visual imagery and what you may know of their external life to take a deeper dive into who is actually behind the mask and at the real struggles these models have faced. And in our Let's Get Clinical segment, I'll explore connecting the dots between our guests' personal stories and the larger mental health context. Because at the end of the day, we are all human and our struggles are universal. Hit the subscribe button on the podcast and tell all your friends about Model Mentality. Please note this podcast is strictly for educational purposes only, and please consult your own provider for any mental health issues you may be facing. Today we are speaking to Melody Monrose. Melody got scouted to model at the age of 18 in her home of Martinique. Her career has brought her to the runway for Mimi and Yves Saint Laurent, as well as in the pages of Vogue Italia, V Magazine, and US Harper's Bazaar. In this episode, we discuss her experience of racism working as a model of colour in the fashion industry, as well as sexual harassment in the workplace. Thank you so much for coming on, Melody. It's so, I'm so stoked to have you be a part of this. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah. I appreciate so it. So I wanted to start off giving a little bit of background on like who you are as a person outside of modelling. So first question is, where did you grow up and what is your cultural heritage? So I was born and raised in Martinique. It's a French Caribbean island. So it's not considered its own country. It's basically an overseas department of French. So I grew up speaking French as my first language, Creole as my second. Um, we uh, have like French rules and French education. Basically, it's exactly the same. Um, but at the same time, we're very much Caribbean. Um, you can see it in like 
the way we look, the way we speak. And I don't know, it's just very different from, we'll see like mainland French people. Um, I moved to New York when I was 18 uh, after I graduated high school. And I've been living there for about 10 years in January. No, in, in the summer. It's going to be 10 years in the summer. And then, yeah, I've been modeling since. And it, it's really going by <laughs> really fast. <laughs> I'm just realizing that it's been a while I feel now. the same way. I mentioned yesterday that, like, I've been modeling <laughs> for 15 years. And I was just like, whoa, that's more than half of my life. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. Um, what's the most important thing that you learned growing up in Martinique? Family, I think uh, generally, culturally, we're very family-oriented. Um, we just, in general, love to celebrate. And family is just, like, the most important thing, the thing that just, like, keep us, keeps us together. It's my main motivation in life. I think that's, like, a, like you know, our main value. What else? When things go wrong or when you go through a hard time I feel like we always have each other to fall back on and um, I think it's just like the most important thing that I've learned from growing up in Martinique and also that we just really love to just like let go and celebrate and be free and I think that's just something that I carry in my personality and um, you can definitely see I can attest to that yeah (laughs) so describe to us how you got scouted to model like how old were you and how did that happen um I was 17 um there was one of my friend in high school that was already kind of like modeling and the man that found me he was a scout he was kind of starting out and he had the he wanted to to represent more models from the French Caribbean into an international platform. Um, so he was kind of recruiting and he asked my this friend that I was in school with to just kind of look around and see if there's a few girls that had some potential. And he talked to him about me. This man contacted me through social media and and then he came over to my parents' house, kind of like talked to them about what his intentions were, what uh, projects he had, like what contacts, and you know, like basically kind of just reassuring them in how legit he was. And and then he took some pictures. I didn't really hear back from him for a few months. I graduated high school, and then he came back to me. He's like, Melody, I have great news for you. Like. Well, Mina, this agency, this big agency wants to sign you and they want you to come to New York for the summer so you can try out modeling. And Amazing. Um, so you moved to New York when you were 18, you said. What was the hardest mm-hmm. part about moving from Martinique to New York? I didn't speak English. I, it, it was very... Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like you learn a language at school and you think you can find a get kind of like get by but it's really not the same like the French education needs to do some work when it comes to how they're like teaching like foreign languages well I'm from a very small place like I've like went to school most of my life with this 
same kind of people. Um, we're like less than like 500,000 people. So I don't know, like my circle was kind of small. I've just only done one thing my entire life, which is like being someone's daughter and a student in school. I never even did like a little summer job or anything like this. So to go straight to a country where I didn't speak the language and a huge city like New York, that's kind of like going crazy all the time to do a job like modeling that is very hard to explain to anyone it's very specific and that you can't really learn or read books on it was very challenging in so many ways I was very scared I was really really freaking scared <laughs> yeah understandably like what helped you with the transition into like New York City life what helped me I think time you know I was like naturally a pretty shy girl um it was not really that easy for me because I it was hard for me to communicate with other people even at work or um the other girls in the mall's apartment because that's you know that's how most girls start they just go in mall's apartments and um I ended up making friends you know with an English just as bad as mine and we (laughs) we kind of like went out um made more friends and I think like little oh, little by little like my English got better I started watching a lot of bad tv shows <laughs> and that also helped it <laughs> help my English weirdly yeah so time I think time and uh and friendships yeah definitely um so as a new face what surprised you the most about the modeling world I think I feel like what surprised me the most was that it was not all glitter <laughs> at all. I had this, in, like, you know, I've always been really into, like, fascinated by fashion in general. I Something that I really liked. So being a part of this world was super exciting to me. But I really didn't think about the rest of it. And Fashion Week is what I started doing at first. I, cause I got really kind of thrown into it because I think I came in July, end of July. So by August, you know, you start doing castings and everything. And I had an insane amount of casting every day and it just like didn't seem doable or logical to me. And it just seems like the amount of work that people were asking us to do was just like insane. (laughs) You know, like the not sleeping, the like the fact that people were constantly like soliciting you at like any time of day or night or no one seemed to check on how you were doing, how you really were doing, you know? I just felt like no one cares. Like, I felt like a piece of me, like, literally. Yeah. That's, like, what was, like, the most shocking uh, revelation <laughs> of, like, modeling. Yeah, and the fashion weeks are brutal for those who don't really know much about it. Mm-hmm. Like, as a new face model, you can have, like, up to 15 castings in a day. Yeah. Each within, like, 30 minutes or even, like, at the same time. And yeah, there's and tons, lines of girls, yes, tons waiting of girls that just seem to be like so much prettier than me <laughs> at the time. And it was like, there is no way they're gonna keep to get me, you know. Like, it was, it's, 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 it's a lot. Yeah, especially I, I can't imagine what it's like to not speak English as well in the midst of that. I had, a, I was lucky enough that my agency was like really investing on me. 
and they uh, got me some kind of chaperone. I don't know if they still do this now. And they usually do this for underage girl, but I was 18 and they were kind of scared of like me not finding casting like locations. And, you know, at the time they didn't, I, you know, I didn't have money for a smartphone, to be honest. Mm. So you had to write down your casting in a piece on a piece of paper and you will get an email on your computer and then you have to write down your casting and you'll like kind of like figure out like you google each location <laughs> and then try to figure out where the casting were and then which one you should do first and then if you lose that piece of paper you were like completely messed up for the whole day i remember um, i remember when i first <laughs> came i had a laminated map of the city and like a list of yes. things <laughs> yes and you had this stupid like plastic uh, map of the of new york city and you had to figure out where your casting was and like which subway stuff to get from and how long it would take you from there like and sometimes you would be wrong and you I don't know like now I I can just like look and I know where Fifth Avenue is but like back then there was a lot of walking around and getting lost oh yeah and like south of 14th street the the street stopped like obeying oh yeah (laughs) yeah yeah very complicated. So like I got a I got a chaperon for the for my first season, so he was helping me a lot. That's good. Um, um, but yeah, that also was like a cost, yeah. obviously, to me. But I would get lucky when it comes to that. Yeah. Um. So today, as like an established model, what is the hardest part about your job? I feel like it's like kind of like juggling um personal life and travels I think work because I've been the past two years two three years the travels have like been like I'm barely home basically I've been on the plane every other week or sometimes like every single month which is great I'm really happy about it but I it's been hard for me to find time to have like a social life get hobbies or I don't know, have some kind of stability or routine. I think that's like, even having a boyfriend, <laughs> that's been like the hardest thing to, for me to do in the past three years as like a established model, I think. Yeah. Um, when your life is so last minute, it's really hard to have any other sort of things going on. Yeah. I mean, I started like learning how to play piano and it's impossible for me to just like <laughs> squeeze my teacher to come in and I'm just like barely progressing, but I'm, I'm sticking to it because I, I want to learn how to play the piano. <laughs> um, what, what, it's going to take forever. No, it's fine. Better late than never. Um, what brings you back to earth amidst the craziness of the fashion world? Family? Yeah. Family. Yeah. Like I... I used to come home maybe like once a year for Christmas, maybe twice if I had some time. I used to always try to take my time off to try to like travel in like new destinations, which, which I still do because um, um, I love traveling. I love like, you know, learning about new cultures and everything. Um, but coming home is the thing that grounds me the most like Martinique is my favorite place in the world I just feel like recharged um I have like energy again to like go out and do what I do I feel relaxed it's the best place and just being with my family I have tons of nephews and nieces and we're going to the beach and we have fun and I don't know it's great 
like just this little family moment is just, just like the only thing that just keeps me going basically yeah family is so incredibly important and it's something that mm-hmm. never really changes when like as a model yeah. everything else changes constantly <laughs> all the time <laughs> um it's one of the most instable industry i've like i think probably in this in this world i would well i've only ever experienced this industry and I guess the music industry a little bit, but yeah, pretty unstable. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. What is the most interesting thing that modeling has taught you about yourself? Hmm. I would say like two things, probably about like, you know, being adaptable really quickly. Like, I think that's like a skill that, I mean, I, I, I keep contact with some of my girlfriends from back home that, you know, we have very different lives, but we talk all the time. I can adapt to any situation pretty quickly. I can come up with a solution pretty quickly. I can book a fight in like five seconds. <laughs> I can, I can, I, I can pack a couple of hours at like less than like 20 minutes. Like I can be ready to go. And I think quick. And I, I, I think that's something that Molling taught me for sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. I had, my brother was in the Middle East and the borders were closing where he was and he had to like get on a flight and, I like managed to book him on a flight and like book him home and I felt so proud of yeah. myself. <laughs> I've been stuck in like the craziest situation and I don't, the first thing that like I never think about asking for help first. Like I think about like, what can I Google? What can I do? Where can I go to just find a solution? And there's always one. I feel like I have like a list of plan B, plan C, plan D, <laughs> you know, like that I can go through to get to where I want and to get what I want. So I think modeling has been great for that. And the second one I felt like is just like to kind of always have my own back in general, you know, just like kind of put your needs first and just make sure that, you know, listen to what you, you really need. I've always got myself in general. Yeah. It's almost like in an industry that's so, you know, it's you're you're on your own, and it's like there's very yeah. little support, and there's plenty of people who like I, I mean, speaking personally, who I work with, who I love, and who love me, and who have got my backs. But like at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it's all me. Yeah, and it's like yeah, what I'm hearing is like in the face of that, you've managed to like build your own support network that comes from within yourself. Hundred percent. I feel the same way. Yeah, like it's it's the same thing as you. Like I've definitely have like a wonderful support system, people that I trust, people I can come to at any time. But at the end of the day, really modeling like taught me how to really have like a tough skin and just remember that like I can fulfill my own needs. That I'm always, I've got me basically. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah. So, what is something you would like to tell people about the modeling world? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, overall, it is a wonderful experience. I remember leaving Martinique and having a lot of doubts. Um, being a model was never like something that I wanted to do that I pursued. I I wanted to go to school. I wanted to do long studies. My my mother is a teacher, so she always like encouraged me to just have like and like education and everything. I was a good student. I loved um school. Um, I never really thought about capitalizing on my exterior appearance to make a living, but <laughs> it's working out so far. Seems <laughs> the most successful girl. <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, it came to me as a surprise, but um, even with its up and down, like I rem- I knew that if I didn't like see this opportunity, like I would have regrets and I would be like one of these people that you're like, oh, you know, I got scared as a model at, at some point and I could have been this and could have been that. And I think that's like something like how I just generally choose to live my life. I don't want to think if I could have and would have. And I just try to take opportunities when they present themselves and um, just not have any regrets. So overall, it's been an amazing opportunity. I've been able to, for example, like buy myself my own apartment in New York City at 26, which is something I never dreamt of. I'm like the first person of my family to own property um I help out my family financially sometimes um what else like I've been able to travel the world like we've never really like traveled that much outside of Martinique of France we've been to France or like you know but we weren't really like traveling that much growing up and something that always wanted to do wanting to get out and see the world um, I feel definitely richer because of it, like, um, you know, like more like cultured and open-minded. And that's like something that you, an experience that you could like, you wouldn't be able to get in any other way. Um, so I'm grateful, very, very grateful for all the opportunities that I've been able to get thanks to this job. Um, the freedom that it gives me um, but it's definitely a hard job and I do think that it's just not something for everybody and that, you know, like you, it's kind of like a job that people just kind of like push to you in, you know, there's like no way for you to like learn. There's no Molly school. Like you don't go to the university for it to just like, it's like, you know how they tell you like learning how to swim you just have like they just throw you in the water and you know it's like your survival skills that just take over yeah. i feel like modeling is like that <laughs> i would agree with you it's sur- yeah it's basically like survival like how much you want it you know how much work are you willing to like to 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 do and sometimes like being the hardest worker girl working girl in the world in the room is not going to guarantee you the job like sometimes it's not about you it doesn't have to do anything about you but sometimes it's discouraging because you're like but I want it so bad and I work so hard like why is it not paying off for me and you're just like why is she getting this and I could get it you know like it's it's a lot of like emotions all the time and you need to just have like do the work on your own to just find a way to not compare yourself to others, um, keep working, and just also understand that it has a little bit of luck in it. Yeah, and it's there's not it's there's not like not much you can control in this situation, um, but your your well being and. And then just like how much like time you put in it and how much dedication, dedication and discipline. Discipline is the most important thing. 
I would agree with you on that. Um, this is probably a good time to go deeper with Dr. Ali. Thank you so much, Melody. Uh, Melody, it's so lovely to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. And I'd love to start with why the topic of mental health is important to you and why it was of interest to come onto this podcast. Um, I think the topic of mental health in general has been like, um, given like more, how do you say that? I'm trying to organize my thoughts in English because I've been speaking French for like the past few <laughs> days and I'm like, oh, I'm losing my back yeah. vocabulary. Um, it's been given like more of like a, people are talking more about it. Like I feel like a lot of like, at least on my social media, I feel like a lot of people, of artists, for example, that seem to have it always all together and have like this perfect life um, seem to always just talk about it and just, say that it's okay not to be okay we also have down days and we also have bad times and bad days and we also struggle with depression and and you know just to be in general like more relatable I feel like mental health is trendy in a way and I think it's good because it's just letting people know that it's okay to talk about your feelings and not to feel right all the time. And you can take care of your mental health just as much as your physical health or, you know, your exterior, your interior, like needs to be just like to get all the cares that it, that it can get as much as like, I don't know that you're outside mm. basically. Yeah. And when we first spoke, you know, we talked about your ethnic background, you know, that you're a woman of color from Martinique. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that earlier mm-hmm. on you yeah. felt racism in the industry in the early days of your career. And that changed over time. So tell yeah. us about what you experienced earlier and specifically like how the racism that you felt and observed affected you psychologically. Um, I, I started in 2010. There weren't that many girls of color um in general on the runway and if they were there were like very few spots maybe like one maybe two maximum so um I think I think in general I would get like little comments about agents or people like this they would just try to make me feel like I should kind of be happy of things or like chosen one kind of which is so messed up because I shouldn't be happy about getting a spot over like over some other girls. It would also create some kind of weird competition or tension between us and or like feeling like, oh, she's going to take my jobs because she kind of looks like me, uh, which is kind of stupid because at the end of the day, it's not, on, it's not in your hands. Um, there's so many other reasons why probably the client is picking you or the designer is picking you. Um, so it would just create some kind of weird tension and I feel like it would I don't know affect like maybe your self-worth in general and just thinking that oh I I can't get this job because I'm black and this brand doesn't book black girls because I would see their past shows and I would think that's something that we could never get you know so it would just kind of make me feel like I wouldn't be able to get 
to a level that I wish for. And so how did things change over time? Um, I feel like things changed a lot because I feel like bread, people are speaking up about it. There's just like a lot of um, people like higher up in the industry that has been like speaking up about it and talking way more and more about diversity and how they want to include everyone. Everyone should like be portrayed on like, not only in fashion, but in advertising in general. And, and I also, I think that diversity is a very trendy world and word, sorry. And um, now because of social media, people are speaking up and brands are feeling like a little bit more worried because like the consumer, the like, you know, the link from consumer to brand is just like kind of shortened. Like now, like people can just like directly speak to a brand and just like actually make a lot of noise and just be like, this is not okay. We don't like this. Why are you not like using like an Asian girl or why are you not like, like, you know, why are you not like more diverse in general in your visuals? Like I, I'm buying your brand. I'm consuming, I'm a consumer and I don't, you know, I can't see myself in what you're selling. So I think people are just like scared of being getting bad press and it's just so easy nowadays to being called out that mm. they're making efforts, which is good. It's a sign of progress. Um, but however, people, a lot of people struggle with, you know, ethnic or racial identity. And what would you like to tell young people who may be listening to this and are struggling with that and specifically how they may be perceived because of their racial or ethnic identity? or what they look like on the outside? Mm. You know, I, I feel like it's like a very personal journey in general. Um, I didn't realize, but like, I do also do think that representation really matter a lot. Um, I don't know. I was shooting the other day and there was like this little girl uh, passing by in the studio she thinks she came with her mom she's like either a hairdresser or something and and she was just like looking at me like in awe and just like just I'm just like looking at her and I'm thinking like you know if I had like seen like a pretty like black girl being like the center of attention you know in the position of power more often maybe I would have like grown up to think that, you know, anything is possible for me. And I think that that that's important. That's like an important message in general to, to give to the youth and to just feel like, I mean, there's a, a lot of like amazing example of like women of color nowadays. They're just like doing amazing things like, you know, just in politics and not only in arts, but, not only in like sports also, but you know, like I don't know, like actual bosses and just like see that you can basically become whoever you want, um, regardless of your ethnic background or mm. social. Right. So the increased acceptance, whether it's in your industry or in society in general, helps, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think just, like, the representation, like, you see, like, way more in, like, advertising, like, you see way more Black girls, you see way more Asian girls, like, and, you know, in, like, all shades of it, 
not just like a blonde blue-eyed girl like in every single pages that you look at so you see a little bit more representation of like the reality of the population like if i go online and i want to buy like a bathing suit or a i don't know a tank top i know the certain colors just look better on like a lighter skin girl or on my complexion i just kind of want to see how it will look on me you know like i don't want to have to guess i just want to be sure so it's nicer to see that there's someone that looks like me like it makes me want to buy. And that is the importance of diversity. It's about inclusion. So switching gears a bit, we've spoken about how sexual harassment is unfortunately quite common. And you've mentioned to me that you've had a few experiences that made an impact. Would you be willing to share your perspective on that here? Yeah. Um, yeah, I did have like, I mean, I spoke about it with, um, with a lot of my girlfriends, um, a lot of models in general when this whole Me Too movement kind of just like um, spread out to like the fashion industry and like a lot of photographers were outed and, and like um, publications were finally taking action to start working with some of the big names in the industry. And I'm going to say that I kind of felt like it was very hypocritical in general. That's my personal impression because this is just some things that were kind of like already known. People were kind of like, talking about it but now that social media is so important and such so like so important in our lives like they just can't just like turn a blind eye or or just pretend that it doesn't exist but a lot of these people kind of like knew about these stories it's just kind of like uh overall like kind of like that's the way it is and because these people were in position of power and creating beautiful images and they just they were kind of like untouchable in a way. Um, and I feel like it was kind of like very, that's very negative. I personally had an experience. It was for a very big um, magazine. And it was, a, I had like an eight pages story with a pretty old photographer. It was like older. Um, I was like the only girl story and my agency made a big deal about it. He was very excited. He was like, he's a legend. You should be excited. Um, it's eight girls, uh, eight pages. Sorry. Your only girl. Uh, it's going to be great for your career. Um, so I show up to set being excited about this job and he was pretty nice at the beginning. He was very polite at first. And then like at some point, as the shoot be- continued, he started making a lot of weird comments about mm, prostitutes in Martinique and everything. And there was like two poles in the on the um, on the stage that they built for me. And he was asking me to dance around it and wrap my head and my leg and everything. Basically just doing like more and more provocative things. I just want to say that I was 18 years old at the time and and I was just starting modeling and I was not, not confident in my body or in my sexuality yet. Um, so it was really awkward. Um, but no one said anything on set. Like everyone was just like staring at me and it was very silent and weird. And at some point, um, like the, the, the clothes kind of just like fell off as I was moving which happens all the time and kind of just like had like a little bit of like a nip slip and he like 
started just like kind of like switch completely his personality and just started yelling like I want to see more titties things like this or, or just like and just like at some point just calling me like names literally names on while I was on set um so it was really weird I remember like getting off. He tried to even grab my boob. Uh, I remember the status, which was a woman at the time, kind of just laughing it off and just like, no, 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 we don't do that. Like she didn't get upset. She didn't get offended. She didn't try to like defend me, nothing. She just basically was telling me like, just ignore him. You know, it's okay. Just kind of making it like it was all right, but it really wasn't. And the hair makeup people were kind of mortified, but like not saying really much. And the hair guy, like kind of just at some point, tried to like, st- like stand up for me because I started crying towards the end of the shoot. And I was like, I just want to be done with this. I want to get out of here. Like, I don't want to do this. I just want to like, I, and she's just like, kind of just wanted me to stop crying because she wanted me to finish the shoot. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I remember coming home at the end of the shoot and calling my agent to tell me what happened. And it was like, I think it was like the last job before Christmas vacation. So he was, he had just landed from in Mexico or something like this. And I, I told him what had happened, crying, like bawling. And he just told me like, oh, I'm so sorry that this happened, but what do you want me to do? So I don't know. He's re- like, he's like, his reaction was really disappointing. And I just felt like he, he just like was not going to tell anything to the publication, not going to ask for anybody to apologize to me. He didn't, he was not going to seek up for me. It sounds like it was a completely isolating experience and like you had no protections in place. So looking back That's how on I that felt. from where you are now, what would you have liked to have done or how would you have handled it differently if you had some support around you from, you know, whomever was important? I I wouldn't have like never let it go that far now. <laughs> I think I'm like way more like everyone knows that I have this strong personality in general. As much as I can be very like professional, I don't think I would have like even let it go as far as like even him feeling like he could ever say these words to me. I was way more patient than I am right now. Um, and um, what else? I think I would have probably just walked out of the set simply because, you know, this is just like, it's just like the, there was a culture that was like around, like in Mauling that was just like, you know, like there's people that are high up of power. There's just like, you couldn't like stand up for yourself and you couldn't speak up and you couldn't like kind of like anything goes or anything slide because they're stronger and bigger than mm-hmm. you and it's not it's not true you know you're the talent you're the model and you have an importance just as much as anyone else um if something making me making you uncomfortable and you're not okay with anything you have the right to just say no you have the right to to walk out if you're not feeling safe or comfortable and you have like you know you're not losing anything by just walking out of a shoot uh, or like this whole culture of like someone saying like thinking about reputation of anything or you know like 
if something is wrong and you're feeling your core and you're feeling comfortable and you feel unsafe, like you have the right to just not be there. You call your agent and and you're just like, I'm not continuing. I'm not signing on on that. And mm. and I refuse to be a part of this. Yeah, I can attest to that as well. It's like in any given situation, your presence is the most powerful thing. And if, if at any yeah. point that you feel like, you're being disrespected, like you can leave. And that's a concept that I didn't wrap my head around for years. Like I just mm-hmm. kind of thought always that it was my fault, that I had to keep the room happy and that I had to just like yeah. put up with it. But like the fact is like you yeah. don't, no one should have to put up with like sexual assault. It's, it's unfair. No. And just because like your no model one. doesn't leave you open, it's like that Cameron Russell's hashtag, my job should not involve abuse. Yeah, it, like like the normalization of like abuse or like people just like in general just – using abusive language or training you a certain way it's just like it completely has to stop and you know yeah and the, the other thing is right this is about workplace harassment and and sexual assault and this is your livelihood mm-hmm. and it sounds like at the age of 18 perhaps you didn't have the know-how yet to know what to do when the stakes were so high with respect to what you were shooting um mm-hmm. you know and i'm just curious yeah. after that experience how was it for you to go to your next job or the next couple of jobs it was okay i i never really experienced anything like this and um and it's on the set ever again uh, it was very like an isolated experience in general um i've been lucky when it comes to that um i kind of like put this experience in the some are really, really deep in my mind and kind of just kept going. Hmm. It sounds like you are resilient, right? In that you were mm-hmm. able to go through that experience, but move forward and stay in your career. What do you think makes you resilient? I think, I think that's just like kind of how it was made. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, you know, like I, in my background, we're very middle-class people. We don't have a lot. Um, we, my, I wasn't brave, like, crazy like a lot um I just really wanted to succeed you know I I think it's just like something that it was kind of like ingrained in my brain and as much as like you know I went through hard time and hardships like I had this opportunity and I really wanted to just like be able to make the best of it and failing wasn't an option in my head even though like, I felt like I was failing a lot of times. but mm. yeah, And it sounds like you I rely on your family and friends as support. So what would you like yeah, to tell perhaps young women who are afraid to speak up, and I mean speaking up to someone supportive, about their experience of sexual harassment or gender-based violence? I think, I think like the natural reaction i feel like i mean i would know this is natural but like the most common reaction that i i see uh, hear about is to just like keep it for yourself or just kind of feel ashamed of it or just kind of start blaming yourself for it um but it's definitely the wrong reaction to have i feel like talking about it is the best solution even though it's not always the um, the easiest one I feel like there's just kind of like the weight that just kind of lifts off of you, like your 
your mind or your body in general when you're able to confine in people. Um, I think it takes a lot of courage and strength to do it. But if you have people that you can trust and you can speak to, I strongly encourage you to talk about it. And yeah, I think talking about it is the best thing. Like therapy, if you just feel like you're gonna you're afraid of being judged, it's also a great a great way to to deal with like what has happened to you. I've been to therapy a few times and I've, it's been really helpful in general. Um, I strongly recommend it. And, you know, talking to a professional is usually like the most neutral and best thing you could do for yourself. How would you recommend to people who might be listening to this and have mm -hmm. had an experience with sexual harassment or sexual violence? What would you tell them about how to go about finding a therapist? I honestly asked around. I spoke about it with people. And it's like the second you start talking about it, you'll see that like it's just, you know, like there's so many more people around you that are going in therapy and that are dealing with issues too. Um, you know, you might be a little like self-conscious about it at first and think, oh, they didn't think I'm crazy or they didn't think I'm weird or, but actually, no, like I've, I've been like pleasantly surprised that a lot of people were like, well, I have someone for you. You should try her. Or I have someone you should try that. And I think it's really trying, Try like finding the right therapist or the right type of therapy is, is really not easy. It's kind of like shopping. Um, sometimes it doesn't work on the first try. That doesn't mean that, you know, you have to, to stop going and stop doing it. And just like talking about it around you, I think it's, in the best way and just try a different therapist. Melody, thank you so much today for speaking with us and for your perspective. So I'm going to hand it over to Bridget for our final question. Thank you so much, Melody. Um, if you had, if you had you. 50 million Instagram followers, what would you want to tell them about mental health? I think if I had like a huge platform like this, I think I'd just like try to be as vulnerable as possible when it comes to my experience and hopefully like hope that they can relate to some of the things that I'm saying there, telling them that I also have bad days, that I also have dealt with depression, of don't have it together. There's days when I felt like I suck. You know, like I often call like my girlfriend sometimes I got off the job and I'm like, they're never gonna book me again. I don't think I've done this right. You know, like, I feel like every model has this day and you're just like, I'm ugly and I didn't do this right. And, you know, like I have days when I feel like I can't do it or days when I want to wake up, I'm waking up and I'm just like, I don't know if I can do this. I think normalizing the ups and downs is important and just like understanding that there's ways for you to cope with it. Just like surround yourself with family, talk about it, um, talk with a friend, talk with a, like a specialist and just say that, you know, like taking care of your mental health is just as important as posting a perfect picture on Instagram. With social media, I feel like people seem to have this idea of what your life can seem to be because I'm always on an island and I quote, but 
people are saying, you know? You look at my Instagram and it seems like I'm always having fun and I'm always in a bathing suit. And I'm, but I'm also in front of my TV with my cat, like eating chips and looking crazy. <laughs> There's days when I'm looking at my, in the mirror and I'm like, I don't think I'm that cute. Or like I go to work and I think I suck, you know? I think normalizing like ups and downs every day and just, just like bad days or imperfection in general is probably like what I would talk about. And therapy. I think therapy is important. Yeah. Everyone should I, go I to therapy. But yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you so much, Melody. <laughs> it's really such a pleasure to talk to you. You are listening to Model Mentality. Welcome to Let's Get Clinical by Dr. Ali. In this segment, I explore connecting the dots between our guests' personal stories and the larger mental health context. Please note that the contents of Model Mentality are for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on model mentality. You have just been listening to our interview with Melody Monroe. Let's review Melody's story. Melody Monroe is a fashion model from Martinique who started modeling at the age of 17 and moved to New York City at age 18 where her career took off. However, it was not without adversity. Melody experienced firsthand the challenge of being a model of color in an industry where she was a minority and describes an encounter with sexual harassment and sexual violence early on in her career. We are honored to have Melody on our podcast and for Melody to have shared her story with us. Three things stand out to me from a clinical perspective. First, racial tensions in the early days of her career. Second, sexual harassment or sexual violence in the workplace. And third, mental health effects of workplace sexual violence. First, what about the racial tensions in her career? Melody describes how early on in her career, there were only a few girls of color on the runway, and her experience was that given the limited places for people who look like her, there was an air of awkward competition in which she was made to feel that she was lucky to be occupying one of those spots, which she mentioned would affect her sense of self-worth. And she observes over time, diversity has broadened in her industry. And I love how she emphasized how the link from consumer to brand has shortened. Consumers are demanding a better representation of the human race among visual imagery in the media, from race to size to gender. And perhaps the continuation of this trend is one structural change of many that can work to address systemic racism and other forms of discrimination. And furthermore, these types of continued changes can work to prevent psychological distress and mental health consequences, such as in Melody's case, impacting her sense of self-worth or predisposing to anxiety, depression, and social exclusion. Second, what about sexual harassment and sexual violence in the workplace? Let's start with some context. According to the World Health Organization, globally, more than one in three women are victims of sexual harassment or gender-based physical or sexual violence. More specifically, According to a study in the United States from the National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey, a sample size of approximately 40,000 people, 5.6% of women 
and 2.5% of men reported some type of sexual violence by a workplace-related perpetrator in the U.S. Melody experienced unwelcome sexual advances in the workplace, in a high-stakes workplace environment, on a set when she was 18, just after she began modeling. At that stage in her career and her development, she did not feel confident to speak up, despite her knowing inside that what had happened was wrong. But no one intervened on set. In fact, people turned their eye or tried to laugh it off because that's just how it was. As a result of what she experienced, Melody cried and wanted to run. She called her agent later, who at that time could not offer the support that was necessary. Melody, in her workplace in 2010, did not have the protections in place that should be a part of every single workplace environment and are preventable. Looking back on her story, what would it have looked like in a safe working environment? It would have been respectful for every single person on the set who saw her clothes fall off to run to help her cover herself and for no one to tolerate any comments about her exposed body. Melody's story is one of countless stories. She was able to bury what happened and move forward in her career despite it and leans on friends and family for support. She's resilient in light of this. However, this is not always the case for others. So what are the mental health effects of sexual harassment and sexual violence? A few things are important to note. Sexual harassment and sexual violence have dire consequences for mental health and increases risk for persistent psychological distress, depression, anxiety, and acute and traumatic stress syndrome, such as PTSD. And this is for those directly affected, but also for witnesses and bystanders. The mental health effects also in turn can affect health. And incidentally, for both men and women, Fear was the most commonly reported effects of sexual violence in this survey. Most people, however, are resilient. For Melody, her experience on that set at age 18 was an isolated one, and today she is stronger than ever and more self-assured and knows that if this were to happen again, she will use her voice to stand up to what is ethically and morally wrong. I'll leave you with this quote that I found in an editorial in The Lancet, a journal I like to follow. Quote, Sexual harassment in the workplace is a form of gender-based violence at work that is an organizational, criminal, and an ethical issue, end quote. I have utter respect for Melody to take the time to open up with us about her experiences, both as a Black woman in her industry and about sexual harassment and sexual violence in the workplace, because these struggles are universal and global. Many people struggle with racial discrimination and sexual violence, both within and outside of the modeling profession. And we want you to understand that you are not alone, that there is power in speaking up and in asking for and receiving help. Thank you for listening to Model Mentality and our interview with Melody Monroe. If you or a loved one are struggling with an experience of sexual violence and you are located in the United States, please contact the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. That's one 800 If you are located outside of the United States, please contact your local hotline or health service. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Clinical by Dr. Ali. Please check our show notes for references and more information on this episode. As always, if you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. 
That's 1-800-273-8255 to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at a crisis center in your area at any time. If you are located outside of the United States, call your local emergency line immediately. What you have heard on model mentality does not represent what would take place during a psychiatric assessment or an actual therapy session. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Model Mentality. If you like today's content, please subscribe to Model Mentality or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. Model Mentality is brought to you by Mind Studios.